Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you to open your Bible to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, and that's where we will find our sermon text for the evening. I want to address the elephant in the room for just a moment. The buzzing sound you hear behind me is not a tiny lumberjack. Uh, It is the pump on the baptistry. I think they had a baptism here this morning and the water has been drained out. And so that is the pump seeking for water uh, like a thirsty man in a desert and is trying to get some, which there is none. So... We've been in worse situations before with noise and such, and I think we can make it through this sermon even with that noise in the background. I want us to wrap up our series on the book of Revelation. We covered uh, most of the book, and we just covered the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And one thing we have seen is that the apocalypse of Jesus Christ is actually a kind of pastoral letter to one holy, chaotic, and apathetic church. In other words, it's a pastoral letter to a congregation like ours, a congregation like the ones you would find in our presbytery. One of the things that we've noticed uh, throughout this letter is that Jesus has appeared to the church in Revelation not only as a shepherd but also as the Lamb of God. He draws near to his people to teach them, to comfort them, counsel them, to instruct them, but he also draws near to lay down his life for them. And so throughout the vision of the book of Revelation, we have seen Jesus reveal himself to us in very uh, clear and distinct ways. We have seen this majestic and glorious image of who Jesus Christ is. We began in Revelation chapter 1 several months ago, and I want to go back to Revelation chapter 1 and highlight one verse out of Revelation 1, but I'm going to read a bit of the context, but I want to highlight one verse for you, uh, and, and I'll do that in just a moment. If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word from Revelation 1, verses 9 through 11. And that will serve as our main sermon text for this evening. The Word of God reads, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading. The preaching and the hearing of his word in all the church says, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The thing I want you to remember as we make our way through this brief message this evening is that the seven churches in Asia Minor formed a kind of presbytery. 
They were churches that were linked together by their common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were churches that were linked together by region. And one of the things that you know by now is that there was much unity and diversity among those churches. We have seen that some of those congregations were better than others. And we've seen that some were much worse than others. But all of those churches were churches of Jesus Christ. They contained people who were purchased by the blood of Christ. And no matter how much good or bad Jesus had to say about those churches, he took ownership of them, and they were his churches. He did not abandon them. He did not leave them behind. He did not go off looking for better congregations than the ones he found in Asia Minor. We see Jesus drawing near to those congregations to pastor and shepherd them. He speaks clearly to them. One of the things that I learned personally as I went through this, I've shared this with various people, is that in the past when I approached the the book of Revelation or those letters, I simply focused on the content of those letters and tried to faithfully echo what was in the content of those letters. But this time through, something different happened. I found that I was learning what it means to be a pastor Maybe again for the first time. I could see Jesus uh, dealing with his church in a way that I had not learned to deal with churches. You see Jesus drawing near to this church. He shows us how to talk to the church and not talk at her. How to delight in her and not demean her. These are very good things to learn if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, or if you just love the church. Very good things to learn in imitating Jesus and how he related to the church. Something that I learned along the way, you learn this from Jesus and the way he related to the church is he teaches us, he teaches pastors that we must always consider the church in the light of Jesus Christ, not in light of our own vision, our own dream, our own desire, but to consider the church in our care in light of who Jesus is, to see the church through the lens of Jesus Christ. And I hope you trust me when I say this, that if you begin to look at even this congregation or any other congregation of God's people in light of who Jesus is, that will reshape and reframe the way you think about the church. You begin to see that this congregation of God's people is united to Jesus Christ and it is Jesus who is giving shape and giving form to the congregation in front of you and around you. Pastors must also, must also learn to commend the church early and often. And I confess to you that I haven't done a very good job of that. I could do a much better job of it. But think of what it means when you read these letters and Jesus is commending the church, pointing out all of the good things that he sees in each congregation. And some of them are strong in one area. Some are strong in another area. And Jesus does not compare one congregation to another. He simply comes to a congregation and he commends that congregation for who she is and what she she is doing. Wouldn't it help us all if we could learn to commend each other early and often for the good things that Christ is doing among us and in us, and if we could learn to commend the church around us in light of who Jesus is. 
You know what happens in our day and age is that many people simply compare themselves to other congregations. Why don't we do X, Y, and Z like those people? Why aren't we as big as those people? Why don't we have as much money? Why aren't we as active? Why? And, and it's this game of comparison to other congregations. But let me remind you that when we commend a church, we are commending a church on the basis of who Jesus Christ is in that church, not on the basis of how that church compares to others. In other words, Christ alone is the standard. And so if your pastors commend you, they are commending you because they see in you the grace of God at work and they see in you Christ dwelling by the Spirit. Another thing I learned along the way is that pastors need to confront the church, but only when necessary. In other words, you've had this experience in various places where you go to church and you get your toes stepped on, right? Some people feel like they haven't even gone to church or been in worship unless they get their toes stepped on. Unless you leave a, an assembly of God's people feeling guilt-ridden and uh, stricken by fear that you haven't really gone to church. That's some of the old flesh and legalism that comes back to haunt us. But Jesus reserves his confrontation to the church for when it really matters. And so he does confront the church from time to time, but he waits until he needs to confront the church. It's only when necessary. And again, just as I said, I could do a much better job of commending you early and often. I think it also uh, goes without saying that I could spend some more time confronting you on occasion. We need to be challenged, don't we? You need to be challenged. You need some things uh, to be corrected and exposed in your life. And as a pastor, I need to be more careful to do that for your sake because it's a safeguard for you. Another thing that we see Jesus do is counsel. Pastors need to counsel the church with grace and with truth, not one or the other, but with both. And it's in this way that we draw near to the church with rod and staff and that we're able to counsel the church and then comfort the church. Why? Because we're bringing the truth of God's Word to bear, but we're also bringing the grace of God's Word to bear on the life of the church. And then finally, I learned in this uh, reading of the letters and then this mini-series that we did that pastors need to comfort the church by the Spirit and Word of Christ. And what I mean is comfort the church according to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. We don't want to fall off on one side into mysticism and where everything is subjective and spiritualized and there's nothing concrete to get our hearts and minds around. But we don't want to fall off on the other side either where we forget about the Holy Spirit who dwells among God's people. And so we want to comfort God's people. Never leave God's people uh, in their uh, state of shock and wound because they've been confronted with their sin. And never abandon them too early in the midst of counsel, but remember to comfort them. And, and comforting them means leading them back to Christ again and again and again. 
So these are personal notes that I'm sharing with you as, uh, as one of your pastors, but this is what I've learned along the way. And so I hope you detect in the midst of this uh, at least a hint of repentance as I consider what it's going to mean to, uh, for my part to shepherd you going forward and uh, for others, uh, for Bo and and Clemente, who are helping us to shepherd this flock of people. These are things that we want to take seriously as we uh, serve and love this body of the people of God. One of the things we learn in this, in all of these letters, is Jesus is writing letters to these churches, not because he's bored and doesn't have anything else to do, but he's writing letters to these churches because he loves these churches, and this is a good way to serve his churches. And you notice that with these churches, again, some are better than others, some are worse than others, but it doesn't really matter to Jesus whether a church is uh, uh, or better or worse. Jesus is not giving up on these churches, and he is showing us how to love and serve the church for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. So there is this kind of covenantal union that feels very much like a marriage in which we are knit together and bound together, and we are not just one flesh, but we are one spirit Baptized by one spirit into one body. And as pastors imitating Jesus Christ, this should be our attitude and our approach to the church of Jesus Christ. I know that we all go through difficult times. You as members and we as ministers go through difficult times. And sometimes you can wonder... Are we in the right place? Do we have the right minister? Believe me, ministers wonder, do we have the right members? You know, those kinds of things come about. But one of the things I've learned, and this is sort of riffing off of something I heard Tim Keller say, or read Tim Keller say, I don't think I've heard him say it, but read Tim Keller say about marriage, I think it applies to congregational life. No church ever calls the right pastor. No pastor ever chooses the right church. What God joins together, let no man put asunder. If you had known all those years ago when you came to this congregation, if you had known where this congregation was going to be today, would you have come along for the ride? You can be honest, it won't hurt my feelings. Uh, I have no feelings left. <laughs> People have asked me that all weekend. I was asked that very question. If, if you had known what was going to happen over the last 11 years, would you have done it? And honest, I don't know if I would have. I don't know. Who wants that much grief and sorrow in their lives, right? Who wants that much heartache? But at the same time, think of all the joys and the, the grace and the mercy that have come to us. Jesus... Learning and looking at how Jesus related to the churches in Asia Minor, we learn that Jesus will serve as the pastor of any church in any condition under, under any circumstances. I want to have that kind of heart and that kind of attitude towards the people of God. And I hope that you will have that kind of heart and attitude towards the congregation of God's people around you. Any church, any condition under any circumstances. You can't always know what you're getting into and what's going to happen. All you need to know is that Christ is with you. 
That's all you need to know. And that's what the churches in Asia Minor were reminded of. One of the things that interests me also as we look at the, as we survey Jesus, the pastor, relating to the churches in Asia Minor, is that he works through means. And so he writes a letter and he says, to the angel of the church in whatever place, write. But he had also said to John, write these things for the churches. And so he's working through means. He's working through angelic means. He's working through human means. He's working through material and physical means. He's working through spiritual means. He's working through means to get to his church. And that means that he is involving and including presbyters. He's involving and including shepherds and ministers. Throughout the revelation of Jesus Christ, we have seen how presbyters, how elders would gather for worship and lead the people of God in worship. How presbyters and elders would gather around the throne of grace and constantly, continually point people to Jesus Christ, not to themselves, but to Jesus Christ. And this is something they've learned from Jesus. It's not that Jesus is self-centered or egocentric when he calls the church to himself, but he's calling the church to himself because he is the savior of the church. His under-shepherds are to call the church back to Jesus because he is the savior of the church. They learn this not only by the example of Jesus, but also by the word of Jesus. Consider that at the end of the Gospel of John, when Jesus and Peter were walking on the beach and the Apostle John was behind, kind of trailing behind, Jesus and Peter are in conversation. And Jesus tells Peter, the Apostle, you need to feed my lambs, you need to tend my sheep, you need to feed my sheep. In other words, Peter, you need to do for the people of God, for the flock under your care, what I've been doing for you. And so he is commissioning Peter to continue this pastoral ministry to the people around him. Peter lived much longer, I think, than he imagined he was going to live. So long, in fact, that he was able to write a letter. And in that letter, he reminds the people under his care that you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. He is writing to them as an elder, as a presbyter, as a pastor of that flock. And yet you can see that he is pointing them away from himself back to Jesus, declaring to them that Jesus is the true and better pastor and bishop of the churches. In that same letter of 1 Peter in chapter 5, he says to his fellow presbyters, some of them we've met in the book of Revelation, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you to do, not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
Now this letter was written before the revelation of Jesus Christ was sent out to the churches. So some of these churches, some of these people who had heard these words from Peter, these words are echoing in their hearts and minds. And then Jesus comes to them with a letter reminding them of these very same things. The chief shepherd comes and says, what Peter told you, I'm going to echo and emphasize. Jesus is the true and better pastor and overseer over the churches under his care. One of the things that interested me in Revelation 1 verse 9 that I want to highlight for you now is this. When John writes this Uh, Revelation on behalf of Jesus, serving as a secretary for Jesus, or to use our language, serving as the clerk of the session. Notice what he says. I, John, your brother, your partner in the tribulation, in the kingdom, and patient endurance that are in Jesus. Let that soak in for a moment. This is a man who had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. This is a man who was standing near the cross when our Lord and Savior gave up his spirit. This is a man who had spent time with the Apostle Peter. They were co-laborers. This is a man who had outlived all of his fellow apostles. He has seen pain and death and sorrow, bloodshed. He has watched the world, the flesh, and the devil wreak havoc on the church of Jesus Christ. He has seen and heard things that we can only imagine to see and hear. And he writes to this church in humility. Your brother, your partner. In what? In the tribulation, and in the kingdom, and in patient endurance. You see what he's doing here? We might be tempted to take someone like John and put him on a pedestal and hold him in high esteem. Saint John the Divine, many people call him. And yet Saint John the Divine would say, I'm just your brother. I'm just your companion. I'm just like you. And we're in this together. And what John is revealing to us is that he is a pastor very much like Jesus was a pastor. How do we know? Because he is right there with the churches in their midst, right there with them in their sorrows, in their conflicts, in their difficulties. He doesn't take the easy way out. He relates to these people. He writes this vision. He records this vision from exile on the margins. He's not in uptown. He's not in fancy places. There are no creature comforts around him. He wants the church to know that he is in this with them, thick and thin, for better or for worse. 
Eugene Peterson says in his book, Reverse Thunder, that the pastor is the person who specializes in accompanying persons of faith in the middle, facing the ugly details, the meaningless routines, the mocking wickedness, and all the time doggedly insisting that this unaccountably unlovely is connected to a splendid beginning and a glorious ending. Luther's acid test of the Christian pastor was this. Does he know of death and the devil, or is it all sweetness and light? Pastor John knew death and the devil, and it was not all sweetness and light. Peterson goes on to say, John is with them in their experience of worship and apostasy, martyrdom and witness, love and vengeance, and develops the connections that maintain coherence between the beginning and the ending. He's there in the good, the bad, and the ugly. And throughout this revelation, you see him Staying with God's people, abiding with God's people in the midst of their tribulations. And he's patiently enduring all things for the sake of God's elect. I hope and pray that your pastors will be men of this caliber. I hope and pray that I will become that kind of pastor. This is the kind of thing to which God has called us. It's not a ministry of moaning and complaining. It's not a ministry of whining about difficulties, full schedules, difficult people. All of those are realities. But there are much harsher realities in the world. And as we follow Jesus into the new heavens and new earth, and as we follow our fellow pastors and elders into the new heavens and new earth, and as we trek along with our brothers and sisters into this new heavens and new earth, we will have to undergo many hardships and difficulties to find entrance into that place. So John is with them. He's a partner in tribulation and the kingdom and patient endurance. This is what churches need. They need pastors with thick skin and tender hearts. They need pastors who will get down into the muck and mire of human life and brokenness. Who will stay up late praying and get up early laughing. Who will meet you for breakfast? Who will drink lots of coffee and counsel you and drive across town? Who will sit with you and weep while your children struggle? Who will wrestle with you to save a marriage? And who will fight tooth and nail for you? against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it doesn't make them better than you. It doesn't make us more holy than you. It makes us your brothers. It makes us your partners, your companions 
in the tribulations of this life in the kingdom of Christ and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. To live in the middle means that sometimes we're just a bridge from one place to the next. And what a privilege and what an honor it is to stand in the community of shepherds like Peter and John. To stand in the community of the shepherds like we got to know this past weekend. To stand in the community of shepherds that point us to Jesus Christ. I hope you never take those things for granted and that you see what a privilege it is to be in the church of Jesus Christ where shepherds are happy to be known simply as your brother and your partner in the tribulation and the difficulties, the trials and hardships of just ordinary, everyday, boring life. Isn't that great? I heard this weekend about a brother of ours uh, who visits on occasion, but he's no longer a member here. He doesn't even have a phone number to a pastor at his church. He still uses us as pastors because he has our phone numbers. If St. John the Divine, our brother and partner in the tribulation, had had a cell phone, the churches in Asia Minor would have known about it. They would have been able to call him. Why? Because in God's economy, everyone needs a pastor. Your pastors need pastors. This is the way God has arranged his church. Now, one of the things I want to say as I come to the end here, and this really is coming to the end. It's not one of those preacher tricks where I'm going to come to the end and then 30 minutes later come to the real end. But one of the things I want to say is we need to learn not only what a pastor is. I think you know, but I think what I want to say to you is this. You need to learn how to use your pastors. You need to learn how to use your elders and make the most of them. And that means don't let them be the last ones to know when you're in crisis. Don't let them be the last ones to know when things are falling apart. Let them be among the first to know. Do not say to yourselves, they're so busy, they have so much going on, I don't want to put more on their plate. One of the hardest things for shepherds is this, is feeling useless. Feeling useless, unwanted, and unneeded. Why are we here? Why do they pay me all the big bucks? Why do I get all these tax breaks? For what? <laughs> Make us earn it. Make good use of the gifts of grace. If you haven't learned anything from Revelation, I hope you've learned that. That God has put shepherds among you so they can point you to Jesus again and again and again. And not just say, He's over there, but take you by the hand and bring you to Him. Put their arms around you and lead you to Him. And honestly, pick you up and carry you to Him. And in worst case scenario, drag you to Him. Make good use of us. 
We are here to love and serve you, and we want to do so because this is how the vision of Jesus Christ in Revelation has been shaping and forming our hearts and minds. Let us pray together. Oh, gracious Father, we pray for your holy, apostolic, and Catholic church and for this congregation of your people. Fill us with all truth, in all truth, with all peace. Where we are corrupt, purify us. Where we are in error, direct us. Where we are in anything amiss, reform us. Where we are right, strengthen us. And where we are in need, provide for us. Where we are divided, reunite us. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Shepherd and our Savior. Amen. Why should we stand and sing together?